0: And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Did you know that the Christmas miracle in Bethlehem, there is a prequel to that. There's a backstory to Christmas. We can find it in the Book of Ruth. So we're going to talk about that today with Dr. Bob Moeller. Always glad to have Bob on. He is um, a counselor and author and pastor, and you can learn more about him and his amazing ministry at 4keepsministries.com. That's 4 F-O-R, keeps. Ministries.com. Bob, welcome back. Thank you, Bill. I am very uh, intrigued with this uh, discussion we're going to have today. A, I love the story of the Christmas miracle in Bethlehem. And B, I love the book of Ruth.
1: Well, in an amazing way, actually, these two are very much together um, because the book of Ruth actually contains uh, imagery, themes, uh names whatever that are going to uh, foretell uh the Christmas story that we celebrate, but this all happened amazingly a thousand years before um the shepherds ever ever heard the angels,
0: yeah, that's spectacular, and of course, nothing in scripture ever surprises me because God is so amazing, but what happened a thousand years previous to the birth in Bethlehem we can learn in that little small book of Ruth. So let's jump into the discussion. I can hardly wait.
1: Well, let's begin with uh, reading, if I can, the first chapter of Ruth, or, and not the whole chapter, but maybe four or five verses.
0: I am, not, day, I am not opposed at all to the full reading of the first chapter. I love the reading of Scripture. All right.
1: In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife, and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters in law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters in law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters in law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown. To your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother in law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister in law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with them. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, Moab, accompanied by Ruth, and the, Moab, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. Um, Bill, there's some amazing things in just that first chapter.
0: There. So rich, so good.
1: Yeah, let's start with the meaning of some of the names that were introduced to. There was a man living in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread in Hebrew, by the name of Lemuel, which his name literally means God is king. He is married to a woman named Naomi, which means pleasant and so we're start. we're presented to start with with a picture of a happier ideal home as adrian roger puts it where god is king and relationships are pleasant so the book starts out god is king of this home the marriage the relationships are are wonderful and it's almost a picture of the garden of eden mm.
2: it's
1: almost a picture of the place of innocence adam and eve god is king the relationships are harmonious, um, the, the house of bread God provides for their needs and um, everything everything is good. But then famine strikes, famine strikes the land. You could consider that like a testing. And, and rather than remaining in Bethlehem, the place, the house of bread, Elimelech chooses to leave the security, of the covenant of Israel, and he mo- moves his family to Moab, which is a land under a curse. And I think we begin to see here the story of the fall of mankind. They were living in a place of blessing, but then they're tempted, then they're tested. And rather than rem- remaining faithful, they choose to go to Moab, which is a place of disobedience. It's a land under a curse. Well why would... And it, Moab by the way corresponds today to um, what would be northern Jordan, okay that area to the uh, east of Israel today. Mm-hmm. Well, two things happened in, in Moab that brought a curse about. One was that's where Lot and his daughters fled after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember Abraham's nephew Lot is warned to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel of the Lord appears and warns them to leave and says, don't look back. But Lot's wife does and is turned into a pillar of salt. Um, And they flee to the land of Moab, where sadly Lot's daughters, in an act of unbelief, I think, not believing God would provide families or husbands for them, Uh, willingly get involved in and choose to fool their father in an incestuous relationship. And God judges them for it. So it's a place of sin and rebellion where God judged them. And then later when Moses is leading the people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land and they want to enter Canaan, they want to go through Moab, which was just, again, right to the east of where God would lead them. But the king... Uh, Balak of Moab meets them and he hires this false prophet named Balaam to come and pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. Uh, In fact he tries to curse them but he ends up blessing them but he's been hired to pronounce a curse. So Moab becomes a symbol of the rebellion of mankind and living under the curse of sin and Elimelech foolishly moves his family there thinking that's the answer uh, to the the famine that's, that struck the land and Elimelech dies and his two sons marry foreign uh, foreign women which was a forbidden choice under the Mosaic Covenant and the result seems to be the judgment of God because Elimelech's two sons die premature deaths and end up with Elimelech passing three widows and Bill this is interesting Malon means one of the sons name mean, means sickness And or sickly, and killian means wasting. Wow! (laughs) You get this idea that this family is under discipline or judgment of God because they've gone to a place that was under a curse, place they should have never gone, place that that wasn't God's answer. And in Scripture, every time you see the the great leaders, whether they be Abraham or others, that leave the land of promise and go back to Egypt or go to Moab. It never turns
0: out good. Mm-hmm. My guest is Dr. Bob Moeller, and we are discussing uh, what the Christmas miracle in Bethlehem and the backstory of Christmas. Now, Bob, so far the content has been fascinating and riveting because I love the book of Ruth, but I'm already at a place where I think we can start asking questions to ourselves about this Christmas as it applies to the first chapter of Ruth.
1: Absolutely. And... Just taking this story again and Bethlehem being emblematic of the presence of God and the blessings of God and Moab being emblematic of rebellion and uh, the curse of sin. You You know, know, let's just stop and ask ourselves, is there some area of our lives where we've been going through maybe a testing, uh, a prolonged testing of our faith, you know, a famine, so to speak? Because even in the lives of the most faithful Christians, we can go through a long season where we're being tested, we're being tried, Um, the answers don't seem to come, the relief we pray for doesn't arrive, and then the temptation comes to us. Do we really remain in the house of bread? Do we really, Jesus being the bread of life, do we really remain faithful? Or under all this pressure, duress, discouragement, have we been tempted to wander into forbidden territory mm. in our lives?
0: Bob, can I make a quick observation? Because I love irony, Please. and nobody wants to pay for irony anymore. But you are uh, confronted with a famine. So in order to avoid the famine, you leave the area called the House of Bread.
1: Yeah, isn't that something? <laughs> and i we tempted to do that. I mean, Jesus is our life. He's the bread of heaven right. that's come. He, um, he's the water, the living water. Yes. But when we're, when we're under great, long, unanticipated trials and prolonged testing, Satan will come and say, well, haven't you realized that God isn't coming through this time?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Haven't you figured out yet he's abandoned you? Or as someone said, I know God put me here, but I don't know that He remembers where He put me. Mm. Um, Sometimes we're going through those long seasons, and uh, haven't we all been through that, where our faith really begins to be stretched, Mm -hmm. really be tried? Um, It's no accident. God wasn't asleep at the wheel when that famine came to Bethlehem. Right. It uh, it was meant to test. The people there, and Elimelech and his family. And sadly, Alemlech said, you know, I, I can't depend on, on God anymore. I can't depend on the God. I, I've got to go take care of this. I've got to fix this for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Bill, or our listeners, but how many times have we tried to fix our situation?
0: All too often, Bob. Way too <laughs> many times.
1: And it was outside the will of God. Yeah. You know, God yeah. hasn't brought me a husband or wife. You know that's a belief. So I'm going to go find one because I've been alone long enough. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, God hasn't healed this particular problem or disease. Maybe I, I I am struggling with, or the persecution that I'm experiencing or the rejection. It's gone on too long. I think I'm I'm ready to try and do something else, even if it means me taking charge.
0: Hmm. So just like Elimelech, who left the house of bread and went into Moab. He was wandering into forbidden territory in order to take charge because he didn't feel like he could trust God to provide food in the house of bread.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And I ask listeners, have we experienced the discipline of the Lord? Maybe even as strong as the word judgment for our disobedience. Are any of us living today under the discipline? of the Lord because we have strayed into forbidden territory. I mean, is are things not working out the way we thought they would? Have we lost our joy and peace? Have we lost our sense of of contentment? Are we are we in a place where we are suffering the consequences Mm -hmm. of our disability? Let me take that step further. Um, You notice it wasn't just a that was, you know, that died, his two sons did. Right. And sometimes our disobedience will lead to the suffering of
0: others. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's wow. very, very uh, humbling. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. We're going to continue our discussion on the backstory of Christmas, something that happened a thousand years before the Christmas miracle in Bethlehem. And that's we find that in the book of Ruth. We'll take a short break and be right back. If you've heard anything you want a little clarification on or a question for Bob, You're more than welcome to text that question over 877-933-2484. Hi, podcast listener. You know, I'm Bill Arnold and my theme song says, What's for Dinner? And like when I'm grilling, I'm paying really close attention. And I know that ideal second to get the food off the grill. Like all good and ideal timings in life, right now would be an ideal time to be a cheerful giver to Faith Radio. Give now to support this podcast so that more people in more places might come to saving faith in Jesus and grow in their relationship and become a fully devoted follower. Click the link in the show notes or give now at myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the show. I must say, I've never connected these dots before between the book of Ruth and then a thousand years later, the Christmas miracle in Bethlehem. My guest is Dr. Bob Moeller. You can learn more about Bob and his um, amazing ministry at 4 com. And uh, we're talking about this small book of Ruth today as uh, we are learning about Elimelech and Naomi and their uh, method of leaving um, Bethlehem to go to Moab to avoid the uh, famine and then t- just stepping out in, of God's will and, and they chose not to remain in the house of uh, bread and that led them into forbidden territory in their life and it caused suffering so Bob let's pick up this again because I love that we can ask practical questions to ourselves at this time uh, as we're moving into the Christmas season
1: Well, just as in, you know, the drama of salvation, it begins with disobedience, you know, Adam and Eve, and then uh, the rest of mankind stepping out of the will of God and rebelling and suffering. You know, that's when death entered the world. And, uh, you know, you see the death of Elimelech and his two sons and the suffering that their disobedience has brought to their families. But then the story, just as it does in scripture, takes a beauty. Beautiful turn. Um, it, we begin to see God's mercy. God's grace. Uh, now enters the picture. Up till now it's been judgment and sorrow and death, but uh praise God. Christmas is all about the grace of God. Um, the mercy of God being extended to us. Ruth, and by the way, I don't think I said this, her name means kind neighbor. And so the name Ruth is a person who's very kind and a neighbor, uh, someone who is there for you when you're in a bad place. She will not abandon her widowed mother-in-law, and she commits herself to staying with her and to return to Bethlehem with her. And, you know, Bill, there's times that you just can't beat the King James Version for poetic beauty. Um, and I want to read Ruth 116 in the KJV. Entreat me not to leave thee, Ruth says to Naomi, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God.
0: That's beautiful.
1: It's a beautiful statement of commitment. Her sister-in-law, who was married to the other child of Elimelech, the other son, her name was Orpah. And that means fawn or gazelle, and, and it probably represents that she was a beautiful woman. Fawns or gazelles in the Old Testament are always a symbol of loveliness, grace—you know, things of that nature. And so, Orpah, rather than stay with Ruth and Naomi, decides to go back, and she's going to, you know, find somebody from her own people and get married. Um, well, the two women journey on to bethlehem and they arrive just as the harvest is beginning that's that's a an important statement bill it's it signifies a picture of the fullness of time
0: Mm, i like that just
1: as the harvest just as the plenty the blessing of god is arriving they show up and that timing is something isn't it yes that these women who suffered so much all of a sudden arrive in the fullness of God's time. And by God's providence, he leads Ruth. And here again, you see uh, the, the work of God, the grace of God, the sovereignty of God at work here. He leads Ruth to the field of a wealthy man who happens to be single. His name is Boaz. And years ago, when I would do a, a conference for singles, I would say, are you marrying a Boaz or a Bozo? That's the title of one of them. <laughs> mm
2: mm-hmm.
1: One of my segments. And, you know, when I go back to a church like that years later, that's what everybody remembers. Mm. <laughs> you yeah, talked about Boaz. What
0: Boaz does Boaz means. mean, Bob?
1: It means tower of strength. Um, it means a person of unusual character, uh, a person of unusual strength and mm-hmm. steadfastness. And, of course, this is um, a Christ figure, so to speak. Because Boaz, when he sees Ruth who comes to his field to glean, in the Old Testament, the poor were allowed to go after the harvesters to walk behind them. And if they left olives on a tree or grapes on a vine, or if they left barley in the field by accident, the poor could pick it up and glean that field. It was not considered stealing, it was a way to provide for the most destitute. Mm -hmm. So here is Ruth in a destitute situation. The only way she can feed herself and her mother-in-law is if she gleans in the hot Mediterranean sun. But there is the man who owns the field notices her and takes pity and starts uh, telling the people, leave extra grain. Just, just don't take everything. Drop stalks for her to pick up. He invites her to come have lunch and rest under the shade of a tent or pavilion or whatever he had there. And there you have the invitation of Christ to come to Him, you know, in our neediness, in our destitution, mm-hmm. to enter into the shade, if you will, to to allow Him to begin to feed the very deepest needs of our life. Uh, this is a sign of the unmerited, unearned grace of God upon Ruth, because let's not forget, Bill, she was a foreigner. Yes, true. She was not a Hebrew who returned. Right. He was someone outside the covenant. Yeah. And he had been previously excluded. In fact, she was from a nation that was under a curse. And yet God reaches out to her mm. and directs her to, to Boaz. Isn't this a beautiful
0: oh, picture? Oh, it's, it's right outstanding, I just, yeah, the, I, I love it.
1: <laughs> sorry, I interrupted. I, I just kind of overcome by what a picture of the grace and mercy of God toward everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's anyone out there this evening who's feeling, you know, I'm outside the blessing of God. I'm I'm outside. I mean, he does things for other people, but he doesn't do anything for me. Or I've sinned too much. Or I've, I've been too far. I've been too much of a prodigal. I've been too much of a rebel. You know, the good news of Christmas is you can come home to Bethlehem. Um, even if that was not your home to begin with, that um, Boaz welcomes um, Ruth just the way he welcomed Naomi.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, at the time, Israelites often thought that Gentiles existed only to fuel the fires of, of Sheol or hell. You know, the only purpose of the Gentiles was for punishment, that they were the chosen people. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in Jesus' day, (laughs) who were the two disciples that wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans, you know? Let's let's burn these guys up, you know, they're outside. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. You know, I came to be a light to the whole world.
0: Yeah, so good. Um, I I know that this is, um, it's so... Uh, rich that we're connecting these dots between the book of Ruth and, and the, the backstory of Christmas. And, and I, I want to maybe Bob, just keep asking these questions because these are really helpful uh, questions that we can ask ourselves this Christmas. Cause you, you just brought up, maybe I'm outside of the family of God, but what, what are some other questions we can, we can ask well, ourselves?
1: Another one. In terms of our friendships, our family, important relationships, have we been willing to remain faithful to them during times of trial? Or have we selfishly abandoned them to go pursue our own interests or goals? In other words, Bill, I think you really find out who your friends are when you're in deep trouble. So true. You, you find out who really is your friend when you're in a time of great distress. Mm-hmm. And Ruth, at the, at the very bottom of... Their experience, their husbands are dead, they're in the slander of a curse. Ruth shows this extraordinary kindness, says, I won't leave you. Yeah. Even if I never get married again, even if it means I never have children, where you go, I will go. Wow. And in one of the most important verses of the Old Testament, my God shall your God shall be my God. Um, there is in the heart of Ruth a hunger to know the true and living God. Um, How much are we willing to sacrifice to pursue the God of the Bible? I mean, what are we willing to give up to follow Christ? Great question. Uh, Ruth was willing to what? She was willing to leave her friends, her family, everything that was familiar to her, her future, if she had one. Yeah. Wow. Follow the God that uh, Naomi once followed. Uh, Naomi's gotten into a spiritual depression, a dark night of the soul. She now calls herself Mara, meaning bitter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, Ruth doesn't respond that way. Uh, Ruth is not filled with bitterness. Ruth is not filled with the accusations against God. And, in fact, she's the one who encourages Naomi to continue believing and says, I just won't leave you. I'll stay with you. And, you know, maybe one of the application is maybe there's someone in your life, at work, your family, your friends, who's going through an extraordinarily difficult time. And maybe you are as well. But rather than focusing on yourself, are you willing to say, no, I will stay with you. I won't give up on you. You know, I will not abandon you. Um, Family like that, friends like that are hard to come by. And another question how have you seen god at work in your circumstances even lately and realized wait a minute this is the season of the harvest this is the fullness of time this is when god is working in my life in an unusual way Um, there's two words for time in the bible one is in greek chronos um, which means you know just chronological time seconds minutes hours days weeks but there's another word for um time which means the moment it means the hour when something significant is about to happen and I just would challenge listeners is this maybe the fullness of time in your life where god is on the verge of about to do something very big mm. very different very even unexpected you know i remember in seminary my first year <laughs> i was single i lived in a single dorm i was a lonely guy i just have to be honest i tried to date some girls it didn't go anywhere and you know I, it's, it's, it was kind of a disaster um uh, the girl i thought i was dating i saw holding hands with another guy you know whatever it's just was a disaster i was so far from home and i was lonely and i just wondered if god was ever going to work in my life and then the first day of school the second second year of school i go back the very first day of school this beautiful blonde-haired brown-eyed woman walks down the hallway and i am smitten uh, i mean i'm wasted And I look at her, and I think I've never seen anyone more beautiful. And this thought skips across my mind. This is the woman you're going to marry. And little did I realize it, but the fullness of time in that sense had arrived for me. Mm -hmm. The next June, we did marry. And now, four years later, six children, ten grandchildren. Uh, God moved at that moment. And it's not just in relationships. It may be that he's about to use you in a way you've never been used before.
0: Yeah, Bob. I mean, what's what? If Chronos is the word for seconds and minutes, what's the other word for the uh, minute?
1: Yeah, that is. Um, give me a minute just to retrieve that. okay? Yeah.
0: Isn't it like? <laughs> um, isn't it like Cairo or something like that? Oh, Thank that?
1: you. It's Kairos.
0: Kairos. Yeah. 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 Thank
1: you. K a i r o s. Yeah. Yeah. Thank okay. Kind of moment there. That's you
0: okay. Yourself. That's okay.
1: Um, yeah, Kairos means the, the the fullness of time, the moment, mm. the hour. So people say the day has arrived, yeah. the hour has arrived. You know, the D Day, so to speak. Yeah. So historically, it is when something significant is going to happen.
0: And Bob, is it safe to say that when you look back on your life, at the times you were maybe crying the hardest or whining the loudest? Are the are were the pivotal moments in your life? Maybe you can better describe it as the fullness of time, where God did something amazing, and you look back and going, I can't believe what I was thinking and feeling at that moment. But God did something cr- incredible at that moment of my life.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Because I look back, even how I came to Christ mm-hmm. with a very, very deep disappointment in high school that just really sort of shattered my dreams and my hopes for the future. And it was at that very time, a friend showed up from church. Well, he was one of the youth sponsors and befriended me. And for the next several weeks, just showed up, would take me to ride on his motorcycle, whatever. And one night challenged me, said, why don't you give your life to God, Bob? Oh, wow. let's, in the living room, sit, let's get on our knees and you do this right now. And, you know, it was at the darkest moment. Yeah. That the light broke yeah through wow. that was exactly 50 years ago this
0: year wow and, uh, I love the power of the invite yeah how about we do yeah, how about we take care of business right now Bob
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful
2: thing
0: it is let me take a short break dr Bob moeller is my guest we're connecting some amazing dots that he's helping us do between the book of Ruth and the miracle of Christmas in Bethlehem we'll be right back
2: the afternoon show with Bill
1: Arnold. time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon
2: show with Bill Arnold.
0: My guest today is Dr. Bob Moeller, and we're chatting about the backstory of Christmas and its relationship to the Book of Ruth, which preceded the story of Christmas, by a thousand years. And I'm loving the connection, Bob, that we're, we're going through today. Uh, thank you for that. Let's, uh, let's talk about how God sends the kinsman redeemer in this story.
1: Well, um, Adrian Rogers once said you can find Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. And other scholars have agreed with that. And here we see a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament law. Um, there was a law that if your husband dies and leaves no children, and the only way a name and property could be transferred was, you know, through children, um, that the, the closest kinsman was to come to the rescue of this, this widow and, uh, marry them and, and keep the family name alive. So Boaz, who is single, probably much older than Ruth was at that time, He shows this great kindness to Ruth, and um, Naomi says, you know, Ruth, uh, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer, meaning he's related to us, and he does have the privilege and the duty to act on behalf of a relative, and this is what the name kinsman redeemer means, one who is in uh, danger, trouble, or need, that's the redeemer part, to help a relative that was in danger, trouble, or need. And or one who rescues or delivers, it means in Hebrew, much like the name of Yeshua or Jesus, Savior or Deliverer, mm-hmm. one who rescues or delivers. So um, here is Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the next in line to marry Ruth to um, redeem her and her husband's name and family. And so he comes to the rescue first by providing food and protection for Ruth as she gleans, but then. Um, in a rather strange setting. She goes to the threshing floor one night where he's asleep with the other men and uncovers his feet. Now, this was not a seductive move. She didn't go down there to try and seduce. It was to try and and, uh, communicate in the custom of the day that she was willing, she wanted him to become her kinsman redeemer. Uh, It's a picture of Jesus seeing us in our distress, willing to sacrifice to purchase us out of our danger and redeem us from the curse and that is what he's willing to do and so he publicly um in the the next day goes to the market or the gate of the city of bethlehem where business was transacted and elders sat there and he takes off his sandal or whatever and um you know, there's this agreement. There is a closer relative, but he doesn't want to marry Ruth because he thinks he'll lose property. Mm-hmm. Um, something won't work right. And so he turns and um, he reaches an agreement with Boaz that he can marry Ruth. And he publicly states before everyone, I want this woman to be my wife. And here again is a beautiful picture of Jesus purchasing the bride for himself. hmm Jesus saying, I will sacrifice, I will buy back uh, this distressed individual. Mm. And of course, that's, you know, points to the work of the cross, where Jesus paid with his own life blood to be our kinsman redeemer. Yeah. So some questions to ask again. Um, first of all, I guess on a practical level, have I shown the kind of kindness and care for someone in need that uh, boaz was willing to show ruth i mean as you think of people today that are in need in different ways financially of course but maybe loneliness or maybe other issues are you willing to care for them are you willing to sacrifice are you willing to be a rescuer uh, the delivering someone out of great danger or need um because i think all around us every day, Uh, we have an opportunity to do that. I remember in Chicago where I've lived, um, I was on a train track, the L, the elevated train on a platform in January and it was bitter cold and the wind was coming off Lake Michigan and must have been five below or five above and there was a homeless man standing there and he had a plastic bag from a grocery store, excuse me, over his head. And that's all he had to protect himself from the, you know, the bone-chilling cold. Mm-hmm. Look at That man wearing a, a uh, grocery bag, a small oh. plastic bag. And that's all he had. And recently, I had bought a stocking cap uh, at an army base where my son was in the army. And we both got one, and it was kind of a bond between us. And I just love that hat because it reminded me of my son who was serving in the military. And I remember God saying to me, do you see him? Go give him your hat. And I'll have to be honest with listeners. I struggled. Oh, Lord, this is a special hat. Any other one, sure, I'd be glad. But this is my son. and You know, it means so much to me. God said, he's cold. Um, Go give him your hat. Because I was about to get on a train and go home to a warm home and family and food. And this guy was living out in the bitter part of a Chicago or Midwestern winter. You know, are we just willing to let God speak to us? Am I willing to take what I own and share it with others? Or do I hoard things and keep the blessing for myself? But the more important question from this section, Bill, is have I recognized my need for a kinsman redeemer? Have I really, and and today I just challenge listeners uh, who may have just tuned into this program, have you recognized your need for a kinsman redeemer? Someone to come to your rescue, to, to come to the greatest danger anyone can ever face, which is to live outside of Christ and the gift of salvation and face eternity without him. Or has God spoken to you and said you need a kinsman redeemer. Ruth invited uh, Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. That might seem a little forward to us, but think about the fact that we need to invite Christ. He's willing. He's here. He wants you, but you need to ask him. He won't force himself upon you. You need to invite him. are you willing to ask Jesus to be that redeemer, to rescue you from danger and need and desperation? Um, if you haven't, that is the meaning of Christmas, and, and I just urge you to do so.
0: Now, oh, So good. Bob, we're going to take a short break. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest as we continue talking about the backstory of Christmas in the book of Ruth. And if you want to learn more about Bob and his amazing ministry and his writing and his counseling, you can go to 4 Keeps ministries.com that's f o r k e e p s ministries.com for keepsministries.com we'll be right back You've probably heard me talk about hope quite a bit this season and I think it's because we need to hear more about it we need to encourage One another with hope. We need to build one another up with the hope that we have in Christ. And if you are feeling lonely or maybe you are having periods of disappointment or despair and you need hope, we want you to know that you can always come to God's word for hope. Hope will always be there for you, waiting. And if you are struggling to make it to the next moment, I want you to be able to text the word hope. 822-877-933-2484. Two eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Leave it to Dr. Bob Muller to connect the dots between the book of Ruth and the backstory of Christmas. Of course, the book of Ruth happened a thousand years before the birth in Bethlehem, and I love the way in which we're um, unpacking this. I, I find this fascinating, Bob. So I know we don't have a lot of time left, and I know we've got a little bit more to talk about. So let's jump back into um, the wedding and, and the celebration that happened in the Book of Ruth and how we connect it to Christmas.
1: Well, the Book of Ruth ends in a very joyous, triumphant note, and that is the wedding of uh, Boaz and uh, Ruth. Ultimately, the king's, kinsman redeemer and the foreigner are married. And there is great joy, uh, it says in Bethlehem. It's a picture of redemption, salvation, celebration as Christ and his bride, the church, are joined. Together they bear a son named Obed, which is, uh, he turned out to be the um, uh, grandfather of David. Mm-hmm. Um, he bear, His name means serve or servant. So a servant is born in Bethlehem. And uh, goes on his family line to be the great, the grandfather of David and the great king who will be the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Amen. Naomi forsakes the name Mara, which means bitterness, and now rejoices once again in her restored place of honor and joy. She once again is Naomi. And the people rejoice and say, God has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. Um, they recognize the hand of God and what he's done in their life. Bill, I'd like to finish with some takeaways very quickly. We don't have to camp out on any particular one, but I just would like to say Bethlehem is a city of destiny where God will act to save all of us who've wandered from God and found ourselves under the curse of sin, who we have no hope or future before us, except that we return to the true God and seek his mercy and forgiveness. Three, Jesus sees us in our helpless condition, and he showers us with his unearned grace and invites us to draw near to him in a lasting relationship. He hears and responds in mercy to our request for redemption, and he willingly sacrifices to buy us back to redeem us from the curse and the famine and brings us into an eternal saving relationship with himself in front of the whole world. And the result is one of everlasting joy.
0: Those are brilliant, brilliant takeaways. So maybe some questions we can just kick around. Um, So there's someone listening that that they've strayed. They've gone from Bethlehem into Moab. And... They need to be reminded and, and know that God is waiting for them to repent and to return home.
1: Yes, He is. You know, um, if you are in, in Moab today, just ask yourself, Is it really been worth the price? Is this what I really wanted from life?
0: You, th- you um, thought so, true. Bob, right? You believed it to be true at the time, but yeah, time has. Is- um,
1: Every bad decision I've ever made, I thought was the right decision.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so true.
1: Might have talked myself into it if I knew inwardly it wasn't. But if you're in Moab, you don't have to stay there tonight. That's what I'm trying to say, that you can start on the road to Bethlehem right now. Um, You can recognize and confess to God, look, I've rebelled. I've ran my own life. I have pursued my own pleasures. I've tried to build my own future, and it has not worked out. And it has left me alone. It has left me uh, grieving. It's left me empty. And, you know, if you're feeling and you know that tonight, God is working in you. His Holy Spirit is speaking. And he's saying, you know, come home to Bethlehem. Start on the road. I'll meet you. Um it's it's the it's the time of harvest.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the full time. So um so Bob, when we talk about Bethlehem as a city of destiny, does that mean get on the road and go to Bethlehem where your Savior is born and can save you from your wandering? Is that kind of what we're thinking?
1: Yeah, that's basically what I'm saying is that the savior was born in Bethlehem mm-hmm. and angels appeared and sang to the shepherds that night, you know with the news unto you is born this day in the city of David. His name is Christ the Lord. And then they shout, you know, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill to men. I mean, ultimately, it's the cross where we were reconciled to God. But um, Bethlehem is where the story begins of redemption.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Where Jesus came seeking us. And that's another thing I want to say is that it may have, Ruth and Naomi may have thought they were the ones pursuing God. But as the story turns out, you can see it was Him pursuing them. Right. He arranged the circumstances, He put people in the right place at the right time. He was directing them. And um, let me just say again to those that are listening you may not realize that God has been working in your life, that He's been preparing you. But this Christmas season, he sent a Savior, and he is inviting you to come and meet him and worship him. I mean, Bethlehem is obviously emblematic mm-hmm. of salvation, but what a powerful salvation it is. Jesus said, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And he told others, drink from the water that I give you. You'll never be thirsty again. You'll never hunger again that God will meet the deepest needs of your life.
0: And Bob, one of the takeaways I I really love is this truth reality, that we have no hope or future before us except that we return to the true God and seek His mercy and forgiveness.
1: That's so true. Um, There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except of Christ Jesus. And if you... Yeah, I'm sorry. No future for us apart from us recognizing Him and confessing Him as our Lord and Savior.
0: Yeah. And one of the great questions I I ask is, who has that privileged place of authority in your life? And if it's not God, it's going to be yourself. And if you're calling your own shots, you're going to one day realize you have strayed from Bethlehem into Moab, and you're going to need to repent and return home.
1: Indeed. Um, Bethlehem is the place where... You know god broke into history where jesus became a man you know he left the riches of heaven and became poor in our behalf but it is where the god entered into the incarnation the amazing thing that god could become a man and live a sinless life and offer himself as a sacrifice so it's no mistake it's no coincidence that ruth is this whole story is set in bethlehem because God was just preparing us for the drama that was about to occur. And uh, you know what? God has been preparing you
0: uh,
1: for the drama uh, in a positive sense mm-hmm. that he wants this season to be in your life.
0: Yeah. Bob, I can't wait to re-listen to this tonight. I'm going to go home and, and um, listen to this episode again. Thank you so much for this rich, rich analysis between the book of Ruth and the backstory of Christmas. Just, as always, a delight having you on.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much. Dr. Bob Moeller has been my guest. You can head over to his website, 4KeepsMinistries.com, 4KeepsMinistries.com. I wish we had more time, but that's our show for the day. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for the amazing one-day winter fundraiser yesterday. That was spectacular. Couldn't sleep last night. I was so excited. But have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow.